one thing that won't ever stop is time will keep ticking. And regardless of how bad your injury is or situation is, you'll recover and you'll move on. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We are back this week with an epic episode for you. We apologize we missed last week's episode. Both Dan's family and myself were at home sick with COVID, but we are back and better than ever. This week is a bit different. We typically try and stay away from too many combat stories and focus on the transition that each veteran goes through. However, we had so many questions when we knew we would be featuring Ryan Hendrickson, a former Army Green Beret and author of Tip of the Spear. Ryan shares some pretty insane moments he faced during his deployments, including multiple near-death experiences. This episode is full of courageous moments and lessons we can all learn from. Make sure and grab yourself a copy today of Tip of the Spear to read about the full details and more on some of the topics we will cover in this week's episode. And again, thanks for always for supporting our show. Real stories, real heroes, for a real cause. This is Never Left Behind, the podcast. Hey, Ryan, how are you this evening? I'm doing good. Thanks. How are you guys? We're doing Very awesome. Good. It's uh, finally great to have you on the show. I know the past few months we've been kind of jumping through hoops, trying to figure out with holidays and family stuff and you moving into a new home and trying to get internet set up. We've been kind of jumping through hoops to get you on and we're just really appreciative to have you on tonight. So thank you. Yeah, I no, I appreciate it. And I definitely I appreciate you guys being flexible because we've been trying to make this happen for a while now. So, <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm excited because, uh, you know, just just a really quick intro for anybody who doesn't know Ryan Hendrickson. He, he wrote a book uh, titled Tip of the Spear, mm-hmm. and uh, it's kind of his story, especially like from childhood all the way through you and military service from when you uh, finished writing it. But um, are you still serving today as well? Like you're still continuing to serve or did you just recently get out? So I, I retired from the army, um, January, 2020. And then I started contracting. Yeah. Right off the bat. So I've already, so since January, 2020, when I retired till now I've, (laughs) I I spent, uh, 14 months in Afghanistan as a contractor. And I'm just like, man, this is a, I don't, I don't really know if I retired or what I did. So (laughs) Just transition to something else. Slowing down quite a bit now. Yeah, because of yeah, yeah. Which I I want I do want to ask you about that, especially somebody who's had service that spanned pre nine eleven all the way through, you know, really to the events that have happened in the last couple weeks um, and months. Mm -hmm. So it'll be it'll be interesting to dive into that. Yeah, I want to get started because we have a lot to get into. But what first inspired you to want to write the book? Like, where did all that come from? So I, it, it actually didn't start off as a book. Um, I had, I, I had been doing some writing, just journaling and whatnot like that. Um, because we had, you know, I, I did, um, four or no, three back to back to back to Afghanistan in Mm -hmm. a row. And then before that it was, you know, um, three more trips, but a little bit more spread out, but there just wasn't a lot of time to really work on yourself and our chaplain, um, our chaplain had asked me, he's like, have you, have you ever thought about like writing things down and just, just kind of getting it off, you know, your chest, putting it from, you know, 
your chest or your conscience and put it on paper. Um, because one of the things is, is you could go and you can get some beers with some buddies at a bar and you guys can vent and talk about everything that's going on with you. And then when you leave and uh, you go, you know, to your home and your family and they leave, they go to their home and their family, it's all just dead air. Mm -hmm. um, nothing was really resolved. Yeah. You talked about it and all right, great. But um, there was nothing, there's nothing, you know, substantial to it. There was, it's just dead air. And so he's like, well, have you ever thought about writing? And, you know, no, <laughs> obviously <laughs> I hadn't thought about writing. I'm just a, you know, I'm an 18 Charlie knuckle dragger. Um, so we got going through uh, the 2017 trip. So to the, so I went in 16 and then 17. Um, and so, and then 18, but that 2017 trip, I just, um, yeah, I was just at a certain point that I just needed to kind of like vent maybe. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I just started typing and typing and typing. And when I had free time, um, things would pop my head and I'd continue to type. And I, I mean, there was, there was times that, you know, I'd wake up at three o'clock in the morning and think about something and then open up my keyboard or the laptop real quick and type it out. And then, so slowly, but surely here's, you know, um, one page turns to 10 to 20 to 50 to hundreds. And now I'm looking at like 600 pages of just stuff. And so I go back through and I start organizing it a little bit, kind of the way it reads, well, the way it reads right now in the book. And so now I have this, this kind of, you know, finished product up to that point mm -hmm. um, in my life. And, and so that was, you know, it was a lot of work. It was months. And so I got to thinking like, well, I wonder what people would think about this. And so I had a couple, um, you know, close buddies read it because the most, you want the most brutally honest answer in the world. You ask another team guy and mm -hmm. you're, <laughs> whether you, whether you want to know it or not, you're, you're going to get an answer. And, um, they, you know, uh, buddies came back and it was, it was pretty overwhelming. Like, dude, this is, you know, you're, you're talking the same, you know, thing, or issues or th thoughts or whatnot that I like people need to read this. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't really pay much attention to that. Um, got my family involved and they read it and it's like, yeah, people, people should read this, um, this book. It's, you know, it, 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 it speaks to, you know, it, it speaks to you as far as victimization and, 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 and falling in the entitlement pitfalls and, and stuff like that. And so it's like, all right, well, Look, how do I, how do I write a book? How do I do this? And so um, I got in, you know, I got in contact with um, a guy through some different channels and um, his name's Mike Yorkie and he's an editor and he's like, yeah, let me, let me read what you got. And when I got, when I, when I have time, I'll read it and I'll let you know. Um, and then he contacts me back like two days later and he's like, this has to be a book. Like people wow. need to read this. And, and so that's, pretty much him and I went through the editing process um, word by word. And then I submitted it to the DOD for review. And mm. next thing you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm in Afghanistan and the book releases while I'm in Afghanistan. And Man. I, um, and yeah. Uh, and then lo and behold, I'm <laughs> apparently I'm an author, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. So it, it, it's kind of crazy. Cause like, uh, Obviously, Dan and I and uh, another member, Tom, who is part of our company, just did our first book. And mm -hmm. uh, 
yeah, man, I, I don't think anybody prepared us to understand what it's like to, to write a book, <laughs> let alone put photos in that book as well to try and match a lot of the wording. And there's a lot of hard work. Yeah. So I can imagine we've got three of us and I can imagine just having, you know, you and an editor to go through and try and pick out all those different notes with all those different words, trying to make sense of what order it goes in. And then I imagine you guys yep. went through like four or five kind of final products before it actually landed as the book tip of the spear as it is today. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There was, it was painstaking sometimes <laughs> because his style of writing and mine, um, there would be a, you know, a certain sentence that it's like, I'm not changing this. This mm -hmm. is, this is what it is. And he's like, it doesn't make sense. I, said, I don't care. I'm not changing it. You know? And so there was a lot of that. There was a lot of that, that happened, but he is, you know, Mike Yorkie is probably the most talented guy I've ever met when it comes to um, take, you know, when it, when it just comes to editing and whatnot, mm -hmm. he's a great human being Christian. Um, and he just, yeah. And him and I over a year just went back and forth um, until it was a uh, completed process and ready to be submitted to the DOD. So wow. did you kind of have a timeline of when you want to release it by or was it just once it's done, it's done and I can release it whenever? What What's that? Did you did you guys kind of have like a certain timeline that you wanted to release the book by or was it something that you guys just kind of let work out all the kinks and when the book is finished and it's done, we'll just release it then. So yeah, we had, <laughs> we had many, many of uh, release dates in mind and then COVID hit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. And so now all of a sudden, you know, Hachette book group, who's um, one of the, I think they're like the top three um, mm -hmm. in the U S top five in the world, something like that. But um, now all of a sudden they're playing damage control because they don't know like what this pandemic is going to do for their sales and all this other stuff. And so it, I mean, we were already under contract. So, you know, obviously they, um, they um, honored the contract and whatnot, but when it came to promoting it and stuff like that, mm -hmm. they, they just they couldn't spend the money on a small time author, you know, mm. when they, yeah. they, I mean, they write books, they're getting books in, you know, Trump and Trump jr. And, and stuff like that, like those guys, that's who they need to focus their resources to. And I completely yeah. understood it. You know, like it makes sense to me because in the end, Ryan Hendrickson is not, <laughs> he's not, he's not going to knock it out of the park. Like a, like, um, you know, a, a Donald Trump book or something like that would. So. Well, I think they should. And I think you should. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of people should read this book because I, I agree with a lot of your teammates, especially I initially read it is like, it's going to resonate with a lot of people and I'm, I'm sure it has already to, you know, it has with me, um, you know, just listening mm -hmm. to it. And I know that there's countless others that it's going to, and it has, and I'm sure, and it's hopefully we can have our small, tiny little part in helping, you know, <laughs> get more people to read it as well. Um, oh, that's perfect. Yeah. The, every, everything. So I'll give you, an, I'll give you an example. Um, so this guy from New Zealand contacted me. He read the book and he contacted me. He said, hey, I do a podcast and I would love to have you on it. And I was like, uh, OK, sure. So, you know, we, we figured out a time and whatnot like that. And and just he, he just has just a little little following and, and whatnot. Um, but we, we had a blast. It was so much fun. It was just like you were just talking to a friend for an hour. Well, I get contacted 
last week um, from a law enforcement official in Canada, and hmm. he is a law enforcement official in New Zealand. So I get contacted by this law enforcement official, and she said, hey, we're having a big law enforcement um, uh, get-together, uh, mental health law enforcement um, seminar in Scottsdale, Arizona, and we want you to come and speak. And I was like, I've never public spoke before. And so through a lot of convincing through them, um, this <laughs> this podcast I had with Bobby in, um, in New Zealand, now I'm going to go speak to like 300 law enforcement officials and try not to sound like an idiot. So, but yeah. So That's no, crazy. I don't, <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. The doors that it opens up. Yeah. You know, when people hear your story mm -hmm. and you know, sometimes it can be something that's just fun, you know, kind of having a podcast like we're doing right now. And then other times mm -hmm. you just never know where it's going to go down mm -hmm. the channels and people are going to hear your story. They're going to want to reach out. Yeah. No, absolutely. So that's why, that's why every opportunity, I mean, AT&T isn't really helping me out right now, but <laughs> every opportunity I get, I, and if, if there's time I jump on because it just, you know, and it, and it's fun, you know, you make friends and, and, um, yeah, and you get to sit here and just, you know, kind of fellowship a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it, it it's all, it, it's fun for me. I, at least I think so. But. Yeah. Well, hopefully, uh, tonight, you know, with our episode, you're not going to be repeating yourself too much. I know we're going to cover a lot of topics that are in the book that I'm sure you've had many, many times mm -hmm. to talk about, but, um, we try and keep it fresh as much as possible yeah. with each guest. So mm -hmm. again, just appreciate you even wanting to come on another podcast and share your story. No, it's this, this is, this is awesome. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, so I, I think it's, it's crazy. Cause, uh, First of all, the, the way you open the book is great, it, like with the first chapter of like putting you in the place of the the kind of pinnacle moment that was the transition in your military career. But uh, when you progress through the book, it was crazy to me to just know how connected to the global war on terror you were really from the very beginning because you started your career mm -hmm. in the Navy and you mm -hmm. were on a ship that was in the Persian Gulf that initially responded to the USS Cole after it had its terrorist attack. Can you explain mm -hmm. a little bit more about that context and like what that reaction was like, especially showing up there, you know, at the site and, and helping out with the recovery? Yeah. So we were, um, we were on our way into the Persian Gulf, um, to, to do our rotation in there. And, um, and the Cole sent out a distress call, you know, that they, they've been bought our, you know, terrorist attack, whatnot like that. And us and the Donald cook, um, we were the first two ships that were actually there. We were the closest. We were probably, I think full steam ahead. We were probably eight hours from the, the Gulf of Aden there. But, um, so we get to Yemen and we, and we start, you know, um, sending over rescue or rescue and assistant teams and whatnot like that. And, and it, it was at first we were trying to save the ship. So mm -hmm. we were doing bucket brigades and um, submersible pumps and a lot of damage control where you're, you know, you're just trying to get that you're, you're trying to get that, um, that, that blast hole um, for the ship. You're trying to get that compartmentalized so you can save the rest of the ship. And um, yeah, it got, it got a little hairy that first night because you weren't sure if the ship was going to sink or it, yeah, it was pretty Jeez. crazy. But then we, um, well, yeah. And then, and then, you know, 
as you're doing all that, you're also going through the body recovery. And so that was the first, I think that was the first time when I ever really like, Oh, there are people that really do want to kill you. You know, you read about it, you see movies and stuff like that, but no one's ever, you know, I, I I've never witnessed carnage like that up close and personal before. Mm. And so, um, and what, and you know, there's 17 dead sailors and it didn't matter. Um, didn't matter color, gender, nothing. There were females, males, and, um, and you got 17 dead sailors and it, it's as like, well, why, mm. you know, I don't understand, you know, and yeah, just, that was one of the first salvos in the war on terror. And then obviously a couple months, um, well, about what 11 months later 9 11 so mm -hmm. yeah for people who don't know like the context too so the uss cole was there was a lot going on from al-qaeda but that was really the first major blow that a terrorist organization had against the u.s and they had a basically a small dinghy ship right just strapped full of explosives and just pulled up beside the uss cole so what they did um when you pull into these different ports they'll send out trash barges so you can throw your trash on them and then they'll take the trash away. And, um, usually they'll, they'll, they'll go through it because we're Americans. We throw away everything and, you know, but yeah, they, they pulled up with, uh, with a little, little just dingy, like you were saying, it disguised as people that were going to be taking the trash. And, um, they knew, they knew where at in the ship, the chow hall was at because they detonated right next to the chow hall, which is mm. during chow hours, which is what killed, you know, um, which what created the body count that that was there. So, jeez, um, yeah, yeah, that was. I mean, it was it was a planned out operation, and you know, Al Qaeda definitely masterminded that one. So, those people are, are smart. The more you find out about them and like their tactics uh, and all that, and a lot of people will try and knock it, but you know, they're pretty intelligent in their own. Yeah, and there there's more instances like this throughout the book where you could definitely see the the cleverness of, of somebody who's trying to ultimately cause terror to others or to mm. kill others. Yeah. And, um, mm -hmm. yeah, that's just one example that I, I think it, it was easy for the U S to let their guard down and for something like that to happen. But that was really kind of the, the heightening of our senses as a, as a military. And then kind of when yep. 9 11 happened, it was for many people around the world a shock. Obviously, it was a shock even to the people who were serving, but it wasn't as big of a shock as you would think if you were actively in and kind of plugged into the intelligence and what was going on in the background. Because we knew Al Qaeda yeah. was going to attack the US. They were trying to actively attack the US. Uh -huh. um, Man. Yeah. So, you know, obviously, um, the USS Cole incident, and then uh, I know you, uh, you continue to serve, but you had a crazy kind of stepping stone through the branches to finally land mm -hmm. where you were and decide to be, you know, in special forces and continue the rest of your service through special forces. But like, can you talk through what was your mindset, I guess, in transitioning through the branches and kind of just trying to find yourself, I guess, and exactly like how you were going to, um, commit yourself to serving. Yeah, no, I, I definitely had a crazy, um, <laughs> a crazy path to get to where I am right now. But so I joined the Navy, uh, basically because, 
Um, in the mid nineties, uh, there's there there wasn't really anything going on. Um, believe it or not, the the army didn't really even need anybody. And um, I think that was also it was during the Clinton years where they were downsizing a lot. And um, so, but the Navy, you always need people because you you, you know it's a it's 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 a global it's a global force. I mean, you're you're either in the Persian Gulf or you're whatnot. So so um so first of all like the the recruiters they'd come to high school and whatnot and the army recruiter they're just like ah we don't we don't we're we don't really need anyone i mean you can go infantry it's about a six month wait right now or whatnot Mm -hmm. um the air force recruiter they saw my test scores and they're like no 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 no." (laughs) um and then the marine he was just like he was so scary and like yelling and you know, you chew spit flying around everywhere. And I was just like, Oh my God, this guy is an angry dude. I don't want to be in the Marines. Uh, cause he's super scary and he was buff and all that crap. And I was just like, man, I don't, I don't want any part of this. And then the Navy is <laughs> the guy was just like, I don't know. Was, I mean, you want to, you want to go see the world and go to exotic ports and see exotic women. I was like, yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> you want to be a, you want to be like Tom Cruise and, F-14 Tomcat pilot or Charlie Sheen in a Navy SEAL. I mean, hell, do them both at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool, man. Sign here, stupid. So uh, so the Navy happened, then I got out after four years and tried, you know, tried to do the civilian thing and found out that I wasn't really good at it. But um, during that period of time as a civilian, 9-11 happened. Mm-hmm. And I honestly didn't think that it was going to turn into 21 years of what it did turn into or 20 years, excuse me. And so um, I just figured we'd go and we'd kind of do the, we'd, 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 we'd kind of do like the um, embassy bombings in Africa where we shoot a bunch of tomahawks at them. And it's like, you guys are, you know, you guys are bad. And then go from there. Well, then Iraq kicks off. And I'm like, okay, so actually something's, this is happening. Like the, we're, we're at it now. And so I was married at the time and the only branch of the service we could agree on was the air force because she was like, oh yeah, the air force, you'll be safe there. Um, nothing ever happens to them. I was like, okay. So we agreed upon the air force and, um, and, and she's like, and she didn't realize that, you know, well, she probably did, but we didn't, neither one of us realized that in the air force, I was always gone because I loaded ammunition on aircraft. Mm. And in the wars of the two thousands, we dropped a lot of bombs. Mm. Therefore I was always gone <laughs> loading ammunition on the aircraft. So, um, so yeah, so that, that, that whole, you know, I mean, we ended up uh, getting a divorce and everything like that. And then, um, I was going to the, it's like the S one shop for the air force. I really can't remember what it's called. Um, but I was going to the S one shop and, uh, to update my, my files because I was getting a divorce and promotion packet and all this other stuff. And I saw this poster on the wall that had like a half man or he had a, a guy in half, half, he was wearing a, or one side of the uniform was army class A's and the other side was air force blues. And it was, like go blue to green. And if you're in one of these AFSCs, it's an overman career field and you can transfer directly over the army. Mm. And so I'm sitting there and it's like, well, I wanted to join the army 
um, all the way back because she didn't want me joining the army back in 2003 um, because she was like, yeah, the army guys are the ones that die all the time. So I don't want you in the army. Like, okay, gotcha. So, um, but yeah, I went in and they're like, yeah, it's, yeah, you're in this. Yeah. You qualify for it. And so they sent me to talk to the career counselor, to the recruiter. And like two weeks later, I'm on my way to um, process into the army over at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. And then from there, um, I, I do this warrior transition course, which wasn't, it was dumb, but then I go to infantry basic and that started, that started my whole process through, you know, Navy, Air Force, Army, and then the Q or selection Q course. And then next thing you know, I'm, I'm standing there with a the green beret. It's like, I have no idea what's going on, <laughs> but <laughs> that's crazy to kind of go from like three different branches until finally landing mm-hmm. to where you, you know, originally were thinking you wanted to go, but there was just a yeah. long wait. But you've always had that yeah. kind kind of thought of serving some some sort of special operations, right? Like I, I think you talked about it in the book, but it's always been like kind of ingrained in the back of your brain. What was mm-hmm. I, I guess? What was your? Because you could have chose a lot of different things, like even in the Air Force, they have PJs, P, PJs yeah, and uh, CCT, mm-hmm. yep, and things like that. Or you could have went to Ranger Regiment, or you could have went and you know, uh, I, I think wait i hope i don't get this wrong but i believe you tried actually going through buds and everything as well right yeah 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 i didn't make it through buds but that's that just that kind of got um that that got the wheels turning in my head you know pretty much that i was i was just kind of settling or existing in the military but there was something bigger out there for me mm-hmm. i just i couldn't figure out what i wanted to do and I actually, um, in the air force, I started off in the combat control pipeline, but mm-hmm. then I got medic. I was medically unqualified. Um, after a couple months, they were like, um, <laughs> you're just finding this out now. Like you could have told me that before I wasted all this time. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, yeah, I mean, those dudes, um, I mean, combat controllers the, and tack peas and whatnot, they've, mm-hmm. they've saved so many lives. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's absolutely. Amazing. So, but yeah, I, I just, I had this, I, I just had this, I, I felt like there was something bigger for me and I couldn't figure out what it was. Um, but switching over from the army or the air force to the army, um, I could have went ranger regiment, but I was 29 mm-hmm. and I was an E five. And the, and the guy was like, you you don't, you don't want to come over here, man. No. This isn't, this <laughs> is never a goes game well. you want to play. At this age. <laughs> That's like when I joke, I was like, about- oh, okay trying to go in at 31 you're gonna be an old man (laughs) yeah yeah and he's just like you don't want to come over here man this this isn't the game you want to play it's like okay but yeah the i mean the special forces recruiter is like yeah you're you're gonna this is what's gonna happen because i had an 11 um bravo um contract but then in basic training they came in and i i switched over to 18 x-ray and um and that's what pretty much, uh, you know, uh, paved the way for my becoming a Green Beret after being a, <laughs> a bosun's mate in the Navy and an ammo troop in the Air Force and then Army. It's like, oh, I'm just going to go ahead and step up a little bit more. And now I'm a Green Beret. I'm like, oh, OK, got it. So it yeah. was cool. It, it's interesting because, you know, di- 
well, this is a two-part question, but did you have to, uh, uh, on each branch, have to re-go through, well, obviously you had to go to uh, boot camp um, in the Navy, but then in the Air Force, did you have to go to their basic training or boot camp? I can't remember what it's called. And then basic there. Um, but then you also basic. talk about, then you also talk about in the book how, you know, you came from the Navy and then came from the Air Force. So you didn't have any infantry tactic background or anything like that. Mm-hmm. land navigation and then you're trying to figure it out and you went through the prep course uh, that kind of helped you through that what was that like for you yeah so i didn't i i didn't have to go through air force basic um i just had to do another military transition course um and then um you know i went through a couple you know a couple months of combat control training and then i went and i was reclassed to ammo mm. um but when i um so in 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 the army i guess so yeah i went through i went through um basic training and then ait um for infantry um but it i think i mean it was it for for me it was just like infantry basic was just awesome i loved every minute of it because number one i had just gone through a nasty divorce um and so i just needed something to keep my mind off of everything and technically i didn't need to even start up and tell ait but i just asked if i could do the whole thing really uh, because i didn't i i yeah yeah um <laughs> I, I didn't have like any soldiering background you know the only the only um land navigation i really knew about was being a country boy and i can look out and be like yep yeah, i know that ridge and that river runs here and you follow this down you're gonna you know but military land navigation and, but it actually, it, it actually made it, it set me up for success because mm-hmm. going through training, you know, they said, Hey, you shoot like this. Okay. So I shoot like this, or this is how you conduct an ambush. Okay, cool. This is an ambush. So everything they told me to do, I didn't have any bad, bad um, habits mm-hmm. or anything, you know, to, to where I needed to like, like, I don't know. I need to learn it this way. Now I've been, I've been doing it this many years like this, but now I got to do it like this. I didn't have any of that. So if they said, do this, like, okay, cool. Do that. Or this is how it's done. Okay, cool. That's how it's done. And so it, it actually, it, it, it was a huge benefit for me. Mm. You know what I mean? So That's the one, one but, cool thing about the army that I think they actually excel pretty well at is that when they have doctrine and they, say okay now this is doctrine it's like it is the same pretty much all the way through even in special mm-hmm. operations like the basics at least the basics like a basics of like how to control the basics of like how to set up a security or how to flank and all that kind of stuff it's like it's the same no matter where you end up it's yeah. pretty much exactly the same yep yeah just yeah <laughs> battle drill one through whatever look yeah. in the ranger handbook okay cool <laughs> yeah. all right here's how you clear a trench cool you know stuff like that so it was i don't know it it wasn't bad i mean it, it definitely like physically oh yeah it was um there were times that it was just <laughs> just horrible but um training wise you know for me i i just all right that's how we do it so that that's pretty much you know help set me up for success in my opinion Mm -hmm. so so i know you uh you were going through the q course and everything did you decide or were you i I can't remember did you decide or were you assigned uh to do 18 charlie as your uh your path 
So um, after the aptitude test and everything like that, there obviously there was no way in hell a Delta was anywhere in my, um, in my, you know, um, sites because my test scores were just that bad, but I wanted, I wanted to be a Charlie and they, and they were like, well, there's a lot of math involved in demolition and you have demolition theory and all this other stuff. But it just, it was so interesting to me that I, I did, I, you know, um, had a couple hiccups, but I never had to recycle. I just had to retest a couple times, but, um, but yeah, it was just, it just, it's, it's, it's demolition. I mean, yeah. It's I don't a, know what else to say. It's, it's awesome. a blast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> I, uh, so I, I was a master breacher for, uh, my platoon and company. So, um, mm -hmm. I got to blow up a ton of shit and it, that's the one thing that I think that's awesome. I miss the most out of anything for the most part mm -hmm. like as far as the, the the technical side of things like that's what i miss the most out of anything yeah, well, like yeah. the wiring and and oh just all of it like and... always just because every time like like i as a master breacher you would you would study up on like all different types of ieds like mm -hmm. how to look for things like the new ttps that mm -hmm. are out there that the enemy is deploying um, you would just review all these different reports and things of what's going on out in the field. And then, so you're, there's that side of it, which I think is really cool to kind of stay in tune with, but then also just knowing the, like the math and the technology between all the different types of demo, like whether you're using C4, yeah. uh, you're using, um, uh, you know, your like thermite. Uh, data. You use your thermite? No, not very often. Really. Uh, thermobarics. Yes. To blow yeah. up buildings <laughs> basically um yeah dust initiators kind of stuff yeah yep um but yeah and then uh you know like ect uh stuff like that i i'm still proud to this day well i don't know if it's still in the in the kind of book but i created a charge that everybody else started using basically throughout the regiment mm. on my deployment so i was pretty happy about that um, nice but yeah that was that was my favorite you are an engineer now so that's that makes true. sense yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so you uh you know you make it through uh the q course um you finally get to your team and, and then you go um on your first trip to afghanistan and the right. uh Ponjwide, um kind of valley right um or is it no no we were in we were in a ruse gun um bordering hellman Gotcha. So we were along the we were so that was the 2012 was Panjway District, Kandahar gotcha. Province, but 2010 was Aruzgan and Helman. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. And uh, so what was that, especially because you know being in the Navy, yeah, you were on a ship, but this was, I guess, your first time really kind of boots on the ground, right? Um, on a deployment. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely was. You know, in the Air Force, I went to Iraq and whatnot, and. I mean, besides IDF, there was nothing, nothing crazy, you know, on my deployment. Um, but yeah, this was my first time actually, you know, I'm now, I got a, I got, I got a real gun and I got an idea of how to use it and I'm on the ground and there's the base back there. And we're outside of the base driving into, you know, whatever. And that was our, that was my first experience is like, holy cow. I'm actually like not just sitting on a base, base watching people roll out anymore. We're the ones rolling out. And so, yeah, that was, it, it was, for me, it was just, it was, it was awesome because I, I felt like I had finally come kind of, kind of full circle, but then, 
when you know uh when the coolness goes away and reality kicks in and you're living in a mud hut and you know you're <laughs> you're showering maybe once a, well not showering you're you're scrubbing off in the Hellman River maybe once a week, not knowing that they dump sewage in it just up the stream. And, and then you're, yeah, it's just, it, all of a sudden it's like, man, I really wish like Jim and Chow Hall and man, that would, maybe that, maybe that life on the base wasn't that bad, you know, but um, it was just, it was just awesome because I, um, you know, I, you know, these, these dragons that I'd been chasing, you know, it's like, man, I, I, I need to go out and do my part. I want to get in the fight. I want to do this, this. I mean, my third day in country, we we gotten, you know, a 12 hour long tick. And it was just like, wow, this is this is great. And I'm really shooting a gun at things. I don't know if they're, <laughs> they're I don't know exactly if I'm hitting anything or not, because <laughs> what people don't realize is the Taliban. It's not like movies. You're not. You know, you see muzzle flashes and you engage the muzzle flashes. You don't see, well, very rarely do you see uh, the full silhouette of a fighter. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not stupid. And so, but yeah, it was just an adrenaline rush and, and 7.62 cracking, RPGs going off and stuff like that. And it's like, holy cow, this is, this is awesome. And then I got addicted <laughs> and started chasing that, that combat high. And it's, it's a dangerous chase, but I, you know, did it for, a lot of years. <laughs> yeah. Was was that first mission uh, what you refer to in your book as the Alamo? So we were at the Alamo. That's okay. where we were living at. Um, and we kind of had a, we, we, we kind of set up a very long, you could call it an LPOP um, if you want, but it was just a recon position so we could watch the valley. Mm-hmm. And um, everything was gearing up for this major valley clearance we were going to do. Um probably you know so we were we were up there and i would say about four months but we were just gearing everything up for this major valley clearance because in the chuchi valley there was you know um, reports of 2500 to 3000 fighters they're using this exact um route to conduct uh attacks in you know kandahar and whatnot like that and so and with with being up there uh <laughs> Um, pulling you know surveillance on the on, on that river area right there along the helm and um yeah we were in fights daily multiple times per Jeez. day and just whatnot so it was it was definitely a hornet's nest we were in but um it was i mean it's that it was everything i wanted that's why i, I joined the army and and went through you know the q course and whatnot is because i i wanted to be in that exact position that i was in and, regardless of how how bad it sucked because it was hot and <laughs> dirty yeah no kidding <laughs> and and i know during that time it was a really rough area to be in um to be fighting in. Mm-hmm. and i know on one of your foot patrols out of the alamo you chose to write a death letter what what kind of brought that forward like why did you want to write something like that so i actually wrote that before the val the vill or the um valley clearance so okay. we weren't on a foot patrol we were we were actually moving to our um our last covered and concealed mm. before kickoff and we had a couple hours you know just kind of sat you know just sitting back and waiting for green light and so and it this was a this was a huge clearance mission and you know commando hundreds of commandos were coming in from the um from the center center we had odas coming from the north down we were coming south up and 
it was just this huge mission in the Taliban through ICOM chatter. They knew, but they knew we were coming. Everyone knew <laughs> there was no secret. And, um, and so, yeah, I was just like, well, uh, maybe I should do this. I don't know if you're like, I, I don't know. I think I more wrote the death letter just because I've seen it on movies. And I was like, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. Cause this is what people do in movies. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I did it. I, I have no idea. I just, but I did. <laughs> And, uh, and yeah, and I kept, I kept it on me and little did I know about six hours later, I, I don't, that, that death letter would almost get delivered. So it's, you know, I, I wrote one, uh, it took me four deployments before I wrote my first one. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. but I don't know what it is, but I know a lot of people do. And obviously there's mm -hmm. different motivations for things, whether it's, you saw it in the movies or you just get to this point where you're like, you know, I think this might become a reality at some point and maybe I should put mm -hmm. some words down just in case this happens. And that's kind of what it was yeah. for me. And it's a very, it's a very dark thing. And when you're writing it too, especially, I don't know if you had the same experience as me, but <clears throat> like you get this wave of emotions almost where you're, you're thinking about that. What if, you know what I mean? So you're trying yeah. to cover all your bases of like telling certain people certain things or just making sure that they're not worried about you or not like grieving too long. You want them to move on, whatever it is, like people put different things down, but just that experience of, I don't know, realizing why you're writing it. Yeah, no, 100%. Same, same thing with me too. I, and, and, and I think deep down inside, I was writing it because <clears throat> we had had some close calls, like um, walking around the corner, you 12 foot mud hut wall, and you're, make, or you're making that corner and the 762 round, you know, and two inches from your face hits the mud hut wall and you got, you know, it's like, holy cow. And yeah, so it was kind of, it was kind of one of those things that it was like, okay, I know if I was able to put a laser tracking device on every single round that's been fired at me, I would probably shit my pants with how lucky I am, <laughs> you know? Yep. <laughs> um, so, so, and I, and that's, that's pretty much, I think the reasoning behind it, you, you said it very well is just um, there's been so many close calls that it's like, all right, let me put something on the paper. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. And, and like you just said, um, you know, you almost had to write that reality of yours. You know, I know on that patrol that you were blown up by an IED. Can you tell us more about how that transpired? Yeah. So the, the, uh, Valley clearance was, uh, we actually, we, we kicked off September 11th, um, 2010 mm -hmm. and perfect, perfect we day. had moved up. Yeah. Yeah. And we had moved up to, you know, our last, our, our last friendly, our, our last known friendly location because we had left, we'd, we'd done a few leave behinds as we had probed throughout the months. We'd do some leave behinds and leave, you know, Afghans and they would set up their own little security posts there. And it's like, okay, past this, it's all bad guys. And so um, I wrote that, that death letter September 11th. And then, you know, we're waiting for the green light. So now I'll send it September 12th, like zero two in the morning, maybe something like that. And we like green light. All right. Everything's initiated. We, 
We have gunships on station, A-10s are loitering, everything's ready to go. All right, good. So kickoff. And uh, and my, so my ODA, we were broke up into different clearance teams amongst the ODA for this southern village that we were going to clear. And hopefully that day we would be able to make it to the central location and meet up with the commandos. Well, my, so as the 18 Charlie, um, supposedly a guy that should know how to find IEDs, which I, I think I'm pretty good at it, um, <laughs> both the easy way and the hard way. But um, <laughs> but uh, we, I was, so we had one group um, that was going to be clearing the trench system. They had like this World War One style trench mm. along the Hellman River that we would just castly drop so many bombs on it and they would just come out like cockroaches and rounds start flying again. It's like, how? And then there was another group that was going to clear through an orchard. And then my group, we had the first sets of compounds and you don't want to be. So the backdrop of this village, you have the Hellman river Mm -hmm. on one side, you have IED unknown in front of it. And on the other side is Ridgeline and you don't want to be um, out in the open when day breaks because now you're silhouetted and it's just, it's, I mean, it's, it's war warfare one-on-one. You just don't want to be on the low ground while someone with a machine gun is on the high ground and you're out in the open. Um, so my job was to clear the first um, set of compounds and then um, we could actually, we could get up our uh, C2 node and start, you know, now we're once daybreak hits. Okay. Now we're not out in the open anymore. We got, we have cover and we can, you know, set up security and guys can get some shut eye or whatnot. You know how it goes, um, firebase opera or activities. So our patrol base activities. So, um, first set of compounds, uh, we, I had this plan that we had rehearsed because you rehearse every mission. And the plan was, we're going to get up to the first set, the first compound and, um, the Afghans are going to lead the way because this we had militia force at that time, and so they were all from the area. It's like, all right, so the Afghans are going to lead the way because we're doing village stability operations, and we want these guys to fight for their own country. Yeah, sounds great. This is a good idea, America. We're such we're so good at this. And uh, we get up to the first set of compounds, and it's like, all right, go ahead, let's clear this compound and. And I'm Americans aren't supposed to be leading the way at this point in the war. Um, it's Afghan led. So I look and I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm doing great green bray stuff. I just pointed at a door and told them to go. It's great. And they won't move. I'm like, okay. Um, maybe I'm not such a green great green beret after all, because they're not moving. So I talked to our turf. I said, Hey, what uh what's the deal, man? Like, we need to go. And he said, um, they're, they're scared. They said, it's too dangerous. It's like, well, I know it's too dangerous. That's why we're here. Like, because this is a really scary, dangerous place. Okay. Got it. So, um, cool. Tell them to go. And they said, no, like, he said, Americans should go first because you guys are better fighters and better armed and blah, blah, blah. I was like, that's great. If we were in Texas, I would agree with you but we're in Helmand province, Afghanistan, or I'm sorry, Ruzgan province, Afghanistan. Um, so you should probably go first, kind of your country kind of thing, you know? Nope. 
all right. So I turned around to tell, you know, my counterpart, it's like, hey, man, these guys aren't moving. I'm new. I don't know. Like, what am I supposed to do? And he said, well, go get Nick away from that door right now. I was like, what are you talking about? He's right. Where? Well, our turp had wandered all the way down to the first compound, the breach point or entryway. And it's still dark out and we're still doing noise and light discipline. But he's trying to like wave guys down there. He's this Afghan Rambo. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to, we're going to do this. And so I'd moved down to where he was at and I, you know, followed the best track that I thought was his because again, it hadn't been cleared. And um, I've, I've definitely had a lot of hindsight 2020s like, well, maybe the next time, if I went back in time, I would probably clear up to him <laughs> like you're trained to do, but nope, outran my headlights and took off and got down to the breach point. And I grabbed him. I was like, what are you doing, dude? This is wrong move. And he goes, no, no, no. We need to clear this out. We'll get him in there. And I was like, nope, pull back, head back to Lance. And so my theory, or not my theory, my idea was when I pulled him away from the breach, I don't want to be standing there with my sides exposed or my back to it because we don't know what's in on the inside of that. So I turn around and I get my gun, not inside the doorway, because I don't want someone reaching by and grabbing it. But I'm I'm pulling security on the doorway while Nick moves back to Lance. And um, I see <laughs> out of the corner of my eye, I see something move. And I bloodthirsty, I wanted, I wanted to shoot somebody. And so I stepped inside the breach just a little bit to see what was in the corner, and boom. And Jeez. so yeah, I stepped on an IED right in the uh, <laughs> right in the doorway or the breachway or the entry point or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, Damn, man, pretty good tactic. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's uh, a, a hi hindsight. Found it. Go, yeah, you did find say. it. Yeah. Hindsight, looking back, uh, you know, obviously you're you're still here, mm -hmm. um, and you learned a very valuable lesson. I think probably um, curiosity killed the cat, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, man, that's so crazy. You know, I was there in Afghanistan almost the same time. I think I was there a little bit before you in 2010 and we mm -hmm. were running into the exact same problem where, you know, Afghans yeah. are supposed to be taken over. They're supposed to be taking mm -hmm. lead, but anytime something got dangerous or hectic or we we're in a tick, <clears throat> they're just like, nope you guys are up <laughs> and then we say it yeah okay <laughs> and it, it, it's crazy too because i've met some afghans that are that are warriors yeah it is insane oh, yeah. i'm like okay now i can see the warrior spirit that everybody talks about mm -hmm. but then i've also met some afghans that literally a couple harassing fire or probing fire and they throw their guns down and they run and I was like, they're not even shooting at us. Yeah. They don't even know where they're at. It's called fire by recon or recon by fire. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, are these the ones that okay, can do well, jumping yeah. jacks? <laughs> There's some of those, <laughs> but usually yeah. not to, well, I guess you're training a lot of militias. So maybe there was, I guess, because uh, they're completely yeah. untrained. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was all during the height of VSO, yeah. you know, one tribe at a time and all that stuff, you know? Yeah. So, and I'm not talking down on it either. Extremely mm -hmm. effective. Yeah. PSO was very effective. Yeah, so. absolutely. Well, um, mm -hmm. you know, obviously you, you stepped on IED. Um, 
and uh, you you talk about how you fade in and out multiple times. You got slapped awake, mm-hmm. I believe, by uh, <laughs> one of your team sergeants or, or or somebody on your team. Um, yeah, our 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 eighteen, our 18 Bravo. Yep. So yeah. and uh, and uh, so I, I don't want to get too much into it because I, I think people should read this book hundred percent. Like I, I want them to read this book. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I, I took out of your entire experience of of you know the being blown up thinking that you're gonna die thinking you're gonna lose your leg multiple times is Mm -hmm. your attitude kind of throughout the entire process and Mm -hmm. how you continue to bring a lot of humor into really shitty situations and i think specifically at like when you're recovering at uh um um uh what is it vamc um down in Texas. Oh, Brooks Army Medical Center. Yeah. Yeah. And uh mm-hmm. and you were interacting with the the nurses and you were just deciding that you were going to be naked all the time. Mm-hmm. And then another time uh while yeah. you on you were traveling and talking to kids about how you got bitten by a shark. Like where where does the <laughs> I guess the humor especially when something so traumatic is happening to you that you constantly like pull that out to the surface. Um I probably use, I, I probably use humor more as an escape goat because it's really hard to not like somebody if they're making you laugh. <laughs> <laughs> but chances are I don't know what I'm doing if I'm getting if I'm going to jokes or something like that because I'm just trying to like all right let's 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 get all the attention off the fact that I have no clue what I'm doing and let's make some people laugh. But I think for me it's just um, <laughs> going through some of the stuff I've gone through in life and. And some of the trials that I've had, I mean, if I, I, I've definitely, you know, I've definitely um, been a victim of the poor me entitlement and why me and all this other crap. Um, But I've also noticed that um, some of these situations when they're done, they're just super funny. It's like, wow, that was so dumb. That's kind of funny. (laughs) And where other people are like, that's not funny at all. Like, you are a sick sense of humor kind of guy. And I'm like, I mean, it's kind of funny. Like, <laughs> no, it's not funny at all. You should your have been, leg a, has been got, a combat medic. <laughs> yeah, your leg has got pus and, and you got rods going in your bones and, and it just looks like this, this creature off of a saw movie. And you're convincing these kids <laughs> that's, that you're a shark, survi- a shark attack survivor. And, <laughs> how can I make this up? Look at my leg. And they're like, wow, apparently you can't make that up. Cause look at his leg. Yeah. 100%. But, um, you know, just stuff like that. I I've, I've, I've told people I've, I've had people that they'll ask me about it. And as you know, I'll tell them about being a, being a travel guide in Canada. And, and we had a, I was showing people around whatever area name it and grizzly bear came out and I saved all the tourists and that, I mean, I can't make it up. Look at my leg. They're like, oh man, he must be telling the truth. Look at his leg. I'm like, yeah, you know, (laughs) just stuff like that. Cause the truth is not really that cool. It's like, yeah, I took a wrong step being an idiot and boom. It's like, okay, well that's, that's not funny. But like roundhouse kicking a grizzly bear is pretty funny. Yeah. Or swimming out to save two kids from a bull shark and then, you know, getting your leg bit is that, I mean, it's kind of funny. (laughs) in my in my opinion or else or if i just don't want to talk to people about it like you mind if i ask what happened to your leg instead of saying you know yeah i do mind 
Um, I just like, I just don't step or don't try and push branches in through a wood chipper with your foot. Stupid. (laughs) And they're like, yeah, they're like, uh, uh, really look at my leg. I can't make that up. Wow. I feel like there's a different story with each group of people. There's probably (laughs) hundreds of stories out there of how you almost lost your leg. There is. There is. There's. There's got to be there's a, lot a of burning stuff. building, rescuing a baby somewhere in there. You gotta, you yeah, gotta, I've, you gotta write a a short uh, novella of uh, of all of the uh, stories that you've told about how you've with that injured same your leg. leg. <laughs> so I actually thought about that. I thought about naming the book "The Shark Attack That Never Happened" or yeah, something hilarious. like that, or, um, or you know, because yeah, I've. I've used them all and people can't tell me it didn't happen because I have the scars. Yeah. So I'm like, well, how are you going to tell me this didn't happen? Look at my leg. Mm-hmm. And no one's going to think, oh, no, that's typical IED blast injury. Is it? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> well, obviously you spent a lot of time in rehab and you still continue to go on and fight again after that. What, mm-hmm. what do you think it is inside of you that continues to make you want to keep driving and, and keep wanting to go forward even after the uh, life-threatening injury like that so there, there's a couple of things and and one of them is the god's honest truth and it's that i'm a dumbass i love adrenaline and i like the rush of combat and i i was not gonna let the taliban beat me you mm-hmm. you didn't win because when i got blown up um you could hear them on icom chatter um celebrating they played that stupid jingle music where they're like oh we and then throughout these numbers we killed 500 of them and i'm like wow that's that's a lot of people we know we have 12 here but you know stuff like that but it just it really like it really bothered me that they were celebrating my pain Mm -hmm. and i was like oh don't worry like i'll be back Mm -hmm. i promise you i'll be back so but there was there was something even more you know, kind of, um, behind, behind the scenes and through advice from my dad and stuff like that, you know, there was, there was a couple, couple things. And one of them was, um, I didn't want to get to be an old man and look back and wish I would have at least tried or Mm -hmm. wish I would have. And the worst, worst thing that would have happened is they would have said, no, you're not medically clear to deploy. Sorry. Um, and then at least I tried. You know, Mm -hmm. but if I never would have tried, if I just assumed like, oh yeah, look at this leg, there's no way. Then I would always have that man. I wonder, or I wish I would have, and I wish I would have, they're, they're bad for an old, for an older man. Because when you get to a certain point, when you can't go back and, and undo those, I wish I would have, then it, 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 it's kind of a a mental prison Mm -hmm. in a way. And my dad had told me about that, but then one of the biggest things that I've always carried with me um, throughout my life is um, regardless of the situation you're in or how bad it hurts or how dark it seems or, um, you know, how impossible that moment is. One thing that won't ever stop is time will keep ticking. And regardless of how bad your injury is or situation is, you'll recover. And you'll move on. But the one thing that that people forget, and I didn't even know this until, you know, my dad really, you know, had to force this into me. But 
one one thing that people don't look at is how you handle that situation at that point in time right there. Ryan Hendrickson in San Antonio, Brooks Army Medical Center, and I'm, you know, becoming a victim of my injuries and poor me and I'm entitled. Why? And all this other shit that just, it plagues you. But how you handle that situation right there, because time keeps ticking on, you're going to get to a point in your life when you're older, probably, and you're going to look back and you're going to have two choices. Are you going to look back and be ashamed of how you handled that situation? Or are you going to look back and be proud mm. of how you handled that situation? And you knew that you gave it everything you could. There was nothing, you know what? Hey, so I, you know, I just can't, I, I gave it everything I can. I'm not medically qualified or I mean cleared to go back. Okay. I'm going to move on with my life, but you tried and you own that situation or what happened with me was got cleared and went back. Yeah. Um, but the, yeah, that was, that was a really big thing for me was, um, time keeps ticking. You can't stop that. But what is going to happen is you're going to look back mm. and how you handled that situation. Um, you're, you're either going to be ashamed of it, which as an older man, again, that's like, shame's the bad thing. It's painful. Mm -hmm. Um, or you're going to be proud of, of, of how you handled that situation. And so that's, I think that was, you know, kind of one of the biggest driving forces behind me just, just kind of nugging on mm -hmm. and on. And is because I, I, I did, I, I didn't want, I wish I would have. And I wanted to, I wanted to make sure that when I got to a certain age, I would look back and be like, you know what, regardless of how the cards fell, I did it right. Yeah. You know, yeah. so. Man, that's crazy. Yeah. You know, and you you make sure to make this a, a really big point in the book and I, I think we would be remiss without mentioning it too you you know the humor got you through it but also the people that surrounded you um got mm -hmm. you through and like kept pushing you and motivating you and i've been to vamc i actually had uh, a short stint there where i met up with um uh, a fellow ranger who got um blown open an ied as well um lost both mm -hmm. of his his legs and uh but that that facility and the people that work there are truly like angels, like truthfully, some World of the class. like <laughs> they are some of the greatest people on this earth. And it's yeah. it's incredible to see like the the attitude that they bring every single day into that facility, mm -hmm. no matter how dark and hard it is for the people who are recovering there, because mm -hmm. that is where you go, yeah. where it's like people have lost limbs. They are crazy burn victims like dealing with you know uh, single double triple quadruple amputees like it's it's really difficult walking into mm -hmm. that and seeing it but after spending a, a significant amount of time there i'm i'm very grateful for the people who continue to work out of that facility yeah yeah me too i mean i um the the, the second chance that they get that, that those, you know, professionals working in that area, whether it's, you know, from the nurse to the physical therapist, to the orthopedic surgeons or whoever, um, they gave so many of us second chances, mm -hmm. you know, you, you got a second chance at life. You, you got, you, you got the magic redo button, um, because of them. And so I, I, I agree with you completely. Like they are, it, they're, they're miracle workers. They're, they're angels. And every time, you know, this, this soldier, sailor, airman, Marine would come in and they're, and they're all banged up and their life is completely changed forever, shattered, um, because of war. Um, 
they'll they put in all that emotion and that work to try and you know to try and make this person you know a, a, a man or a woman again you know our soldier again whatever it is um but trying to give them some uh, their life back and then the next then the next plane load of you know when you guys come in and recock right again mm-hmm. and then next plane load recock so i mean there's like just miracle workers yeah. yeah they really are yeah well um you know I, I know you rehabbed and you finally um i can't remember the exact program so you have to mention it again but you worked in a program to get rehabilitated to finally get back out on the line and be able to deploy again um and you mm-hmm. talk about especially your your experience of reintegrating with your team and and kind of the the disgruntled nature some of your um folks on your team had towards you about coming back and being worried that you know you're going to be a liability and everything but the yeah. crazy part to me was where you ended up uh Panjwai area outside of Kandahar I know is horrible especially for IEDs super bad. um super bad <laughs> yeah it's um it's actually where uh one of my really good friends uh passed in October 2011 so like just before you were there um yeah and uh it's it's a place that I, I think at the time the battle space owner was 10th mountain or something like that and, and there's a specific area that's i think w- like when i was reading it or listening to it in the book i was like that sounds exactly like the areas we were patrolling over and over again but 10th mountain would mm-hmm. control it and they would call it ied alley and they were like you don't go through here like nobody goes through here because we've had too many casualties in this space mm-hmm. but that's where you ended yeah, up yeah i mean yeah i mean getting you know getting cleared to to go back was you know i thought like i i did it you know this is this is amazing and i'm gonna get this ticker tape parade because of everything i've overcome like everyone cares about what ryan henderson overcome right oh yeah obviously well that's not the case and so yeah i do i <laughs> i get back to i i get back to afghanistan like i think 18 months after i got blown up um and we were losing guys in the Panjway um pretty pretty often mm-hmm. and so in the in the the regular army unit that we were there with um they were getting we were doing ramp ceremonies way too much yep. um it was it was heart it was heartbreaking but um but we uh yeah we i mean i fly in get into kandahar and um <laughs> and our sergeant major comes out and he's like well Hope you're ready for this, cause uh, yeah, you're going to a little, little contested area. We call it Panjway. It's like oh, okay, well, and do a little research, and you see what happened with the Canadians there, and it's like oh, oh, Panjway is real bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but yeah, so I get up, you know, I fly out, you know, all my stuffs on a helicopter, fly in a base, and there's no ticker tape parade. I'm like huh, and you know, there's a couple guys, you know, the head nods up, man, you know, something like that. It's like, let's, were guys not tracking? I'm coming. <laughs> oh, they were. And they didn't want me on the team because it's Panjoy. And they're bringing out this guy that they had seen me just 18 months ago, um, nearly dead. And they're like, what like how is your leg gonna handle a do you know what a grape row is oh you're about ready to find out like how are you gonna handle that i don't know um so yeah it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't the warm reception that i thought and i i was definitely told like 
hey, um, this isn't a Green Beret Make-A-Wish Foundation kind of thing where you come out and, you, and you're a Green Beret for a little bit and like, oh, wow, everyone, man, look at this, so great. And then you go about your life. Like, people are dying out here. And if you don't hold up your end, you're going to get somebody killed. And we don't agree with you being out here, but we don't have a choice because Sergeant Major said you're coming out here. So, yeah, you better you, you you better hold up your end of the bargain, dude. And so it did. It took it took quite a while to kind of I mean to 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 get those guys to be like, all right, no, 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 he's we're we're fine, we're fine, you know. But yeah, just coming in, I was like, I <laughs> I made a terrible mistake coming back. I don't belong here. Man. And um, because it wasn't what I thought. I mm-hmm. thought everyone would be so happy and whatnot. But in the end, when I look back. Um, I completely agree with them, 100%. I completely agree with the mindset. Um, it's not a Make-A-Wish Foundation for Green Berets. Like, people are dying here. And if you can't hold up your end, you, you could get someone killed. Mm. And so, yeah. So, no, I understood it completely. It's just, it's not fun to go through that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's just, it to me, it, like, struck me as very ironic about where you ended up being because that was like the IED hotbed 18 months yeah. after you got blown up by an IED. Yeah, it's, I mean, it was the most heavily IED area in Afghanistan, especially after the Belenby massacre happened, which happened when we were there. Um, the, the villagers was just like, okay, um, then Taliban are safer for us than you guys are because look at what you just did. So mm-hmm. Taliban, they have freedom of movement here. And lots of people got Jeez. got hurt or killed because of that situation. Yeah. That that massacre was when uh <clears throat> I can't remember his name, but when he walked outside of the the uh, fob and then Bales. Yeah. And then he went out and killed mm-hmm. seventeen, I believe, right? Or how yeah, many? I, I I thought it was like eighteen or nineteen. Yeah. But yeah, mm-hmm. he'd um he went out once, shot up everything, did what he did, came back, rearmed, went back out again. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's, it, it was a weird situation. And, uh, we, I don't know, we, we had to, we had to get ourselves away from the Afghans quick. Yeah. Um, basically lock ourselves down We're <laughs> they don't know what's going on quite yet. It, it was a very weird situation, but, yeah. um, and, and so, yeah, cause we were, we were probably 5k, from Balambay, where I was at was Talacan, and Balambay was just up the road from us. And so, but yeah, it was, it was, it was a bad, <clears throat> very bad situation that happened, you know, that night. So. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I know, you know, you, you got injured, but I guess more of like an infection. Um, yeah. later, later on that deployment, is that right? And then, yeah. Yeah. We, um, we had gotten in a tick in a village and I did what we're all trained to do in basic training was I found cover and I jumped to the cover and started putting rounds down range because that's what you do. Um, well, especially, I mean, in Afghanistan, you go to the cover that you've already cleared for IEDs. Mm-hmm. You don't run, you don't run ahead in an uncleared area because Taliban love to do that. Put toe poppers everywhere. Shoot. Mm-hmm shoot at you harassing fire to get you to move to this wall. And then it's lined with toe poppers and whatnot. Um, but yeah, this little ditch I jumped into, 
Um, we're, you know, we're duking it out with these dudes and air comes on station and everyone disappears and, oh, no, 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 we're, I'm just, a, I'm just a villager. It's like, yeah, sure you are. But as we were waiting, as we we're kind of waiting for, you know, um, to get a situation, you know, sit rep and all this other stuff, I'm like, man, something really stinks here. And, you know, I start to start to look around and I jumped in a shit trench where Jeez. they were putting all the shit from the, from the, uh, and, you know, from the compounds and whatnot like that, well, <clears throat> back up a little bit, we had been on our feet for, you know, over 24 hours. And so I had hot spots rubbed into my skin grafts. Mm. So the bottom of my foot's a skin graft. And I had a bunch of cherries on that, which is just open mm. skin. It's just open wounds. And then all up and down the side of my leg is all skin graft. And there was, you know, um, areas that were rubbed raw and it's bleeding and stuff like that. And now it's covered in human feces. And I was like, this is, this is probably bad. <laughs> so we got back from the mission and I, I, I told our medic what happened and they're like, yeah, you're, you got to go to calf dude. Um, this is, this is infection alley right here. So they get me up to calf and they want to monitor me there. And, um, and then one, you know, we had a couple months left of the deployment. And so, uh, you know, it's just, they're like, we're not sending you back out to the Panjway. Like you're, you're, you're going to stay up here and, um, and, you know, pretty much, um, uh, help load helicopters with resupplies and whatnot like that. And then, and then do your part that way. But your, your, your war in the Panjway is over. And so it sucked. Like, I, I really didn't want, you know, that to happen, um, because it just seemed like another setback, but, um, but yeah, just, just for health concerns and making sure that I could get checked daily for infections and stuff like that. Cause I didn't want to get, I didn't want to get medevaced out to the States. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do the whole deployment with the company and everything. And so like, all right, well, you're going to, then you're going to stay on calf. And so, yeah, I just, I just, I just got myself extremely busy. Um, and I, I you know, instead of, instead of kind of feeling sorry for myself over the situation that happened, which, you know, would have been my go-to before. Um, I just decided like, well, if I'm here, then I'm, I'm going to get teams, everything they need. And every resupply bird that went out, I'm going to have it, you know, pack full of stuff for the guys out there and stuff like that. And so, and so that's what I did, um, you know, just trying not to, uh, you know, fall into that victim mindset of poor me. Why did this happen to me? Blah, 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 blah. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of how the old shit trench story happened. <laughs> um, but you know, you, you finally do find yourself back in an opportunity, right. To get into the fight one more time and, and at least prove yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think you even yeah. say in the book, it, it was, if it weren't for that one mission, you probably wouldn't have been at green Bray as long as you have been. Yeah. So Hilltop 2000 mm -hmm. and they, they call it, hilltop 2000 because it's 2000 feet in elevation gain and about a click maybe a little um, over a click so it's it's straight up and down Jeez. and um and so there was going to be this last huge mission you know for the battalion and they're, they're clearing this area called the belly button and you know all this other stuff well the command element was going to infill in 24 hours prior to the clearance op and um basically conduct overwatch activities on this hilltop that went 2000 feet in elevation. Game. <laughs> and uh, so 
And so they, they just, I mean, so the command was going up there and my buddy was on that mission and I was like, I need to get on this mission somehow. No, no, no. Your leg, your leg, you can't blah, blah. No. I was like, I have to get on. How do I get on this mission? Well, the first Sergeant, Matt, he, uh, he comes up to me with a Che of mine detector and he goes, Hey man, can you, can you give me a quick rundown on this? I don't, I guess I'm clearing the route. Um, I, and I was like, have you, uh, have you ever found an IED with a mine detector? He goes, no, no. Like, okay. Have you used a mine detector? Uh, no, no. It's like, okay. Okay. Why are you clearing the route? Well, we don't have anybody to do it. I was like, I'm an 18 Charlie. Well, what are you doing? I was like, going with you. <laughs> oh, you are? Yeah. Yeah. You didn't know I was going with you guys. And so it slowly that took hold until, you know, that Sergeant Major again, uh, my buddy, real good friend of mine, he finally, he's like, look, dude, we're going to take you. But this is, this is going to be one of the hardest things you've ever done, man. And I was like, perfect. I got the battalion commander. I got the battalion command sergeant major. I've got two first sergeants. And, you know, because that last mission, everyone wants to get mm -hmm. out and get on the ground and stuff like that. So we have all this, you know, all these people here that are all decision makers on what happens with your career. And I was like, perfect. And so, yeah, I, I just knew that I had to be a beast, regardless of how much pain it was or whatnot. Mm -hmm. I had to beast that that hilltop 2000 and guys started falling out and we would cross load their equipment and I'd be the first one trying to grab a radio or this, this, and just, yeah, just, just to make sure these guys knew, like, I'm not a liability. I can still be a green beret. I'm still an asset and I'm, and you know, I mean, um, and so at the end of that mission, we got back and nothing was really ever said. And I was like, huh. That's I, hopefully I made a good impression or something like that. And, um, and then the, the next deployment that came up, there's just no questions asked. They're like, no, no, Henderson's deploying. And that, so that's, yeah, it pretty much saved my career right there. That's As crazy. a green beret was, was that one just horrible, horrible <laughs> gut check. Yeah. Super horrible gut check. <laughs> I mean, it's good. It's good for you too, to, to realize like, that was the one that needed to be and it's not it's not from a perspective of spotlighting but it's it's from the perspective of like needing to prove especially to them because mm -hmm. ultimately mm -hmm. it would have been their call uh yeah. whether or not you were going to be fit for duty to be able to deploy again to you know whether yep. you would have the fitness and everything and and i remember reading or listening to that chapter and like it was a a grueling up and down <laughs> you it talked about yeah you talked about having to uh cross load was it two two different people's packs yeah yeah that's... yeah one 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 guy god god bless his heart leave me here it's like that's really <laughs> oh, good geez. for movies but this is combat stupid <laughs> you know go on without me it doesn't it, it doesn't work that way stud like <laughs> you're going <laughs> but yeah it was man it was it was one of the hardest things I've ever done, but it was just, it, it had to be, it had to be done. And I do like to think, you know, I took that opportunity to spotlight 100%, but the first word I just said in there was opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I believe, you know, God will put opportunities in front of you. Mm -hmm. And if you, it, 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 it's up to you to take them or leave them. Yeah. Well, not like that. And so, 
And that just happened to be an opportunity that probably, you know, probably, well, number one, it got the spotlight off me and my leg. And number two, you know, um, it, there was there was zero questions asked by the command when it came to deployments. They're like, nah, yeah, Ryan's good because everything said non-deployable. Big Army had me non-deployable. Seventh Group always had to do; they had to waive that, mm-hmm. you know. And so that was that was the thing is like every deployment. Here's this list of non-deployable guys, and it's like Ryan Hendrickson, and they're like, now nah, he's waived, he's going, you know, stuff like that. That's so. cool. I, I want to kind of segue a little bit. Because you, you talk about in chapter two how your father never really talked a lot about his stories uh, of being in. Did that change after you enlisted or after you wrote Tip of the Spear? Um, no, I, it more changed after I got blown up. Mm. But he, um, but it was, I mean, he still hasn't really disclosed a lot of it. But yeah, a lot of that changed after I got blown up. Um, you know, he'd opened up a lot more, you know, about some of his experiences in Vietnam and whatnot mm-hmm. like that through, you know, two tours of duty there. So, but do you think that's, um, cause we, we get this a lot now, especially now that we've, uh, written the book to 20 war and it's like, because when, when they came back from, from Vietnam, there mm-hmm. was not a welcoming like committee that nobody cared people were spitting in their faces like kicking dirt on them yeah there just wasn't this like welcoming atmosphere and honestly we we wrote the book the 20-year war on purpose telling stories of veterans because i didn't want that to happen again and i and it Mm -hmm. wasn't from the sense that i was afraid that people were going to like spit in the face of veterans and things like that but Mm -hmm. i was afraid people were going to forget everything that has unfolded over the last 20 years the last couple of weeks have been a good reminder for people, but outside of yeah. that, um, it's easy to forget. And I've found from a lot of the people that we've interviewed that being able to tell their story and open up has really been therapeutic for them. So that's why yeah, mm-hmm. I, I wrote this question down because I was wondering if your dad ever got to that point to where, you know, he's kind of opened up and shared mm-hmm. his story to kind of get past that you know, especially that wave of, of, of Vietnam vets that came back and how they felt about their service. So he's, I mean, he has opened up a bit and shared, but he always, I mean, he, he would always make comments like, you know, I haven't like what I, what I did in Vietnam isn't anything close to what you guys do in Afghanistan and whatnot. So he automatically undercuts, you Mm -hmm. know, his time and service Mm -hmm. there, but he, um, hit for him, he a lot of healing came in at when I was at Brooks Army Medical Center in the hospital because he was my care provider there. And um, a lot of healing came in for him there because he couldn't believe what people were doing for his son mm-hmm. and for the troops. And so he actually was able to put a lot of Vietnam behind him um, just through my treatment at Bamsey and how he saw me treated and taken care of and stuff like that. So that's good. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that, yeah. And, and I think that kind of goes yeah. with, you know, your father's healing a little bit in that regard. And I'm curious to kind of go into to your healing from you writing the tip of the spear. Has that been cathartic for you? Uh, it, it, it has, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's definitely opened up some, you know, um, I know throughout the writing process and whatnot like that and how vulnerable I make myself in the book. Um, it's, it's definitely brought some, some things to light that I, you know, I'm not, 
you know, proud of or, or something like that. But I believe that the story had to be told Mm -hmm. and people had to see, you know, the, the rawness of this normal human being me and the, and the situations that I've been in and, and myself induced pitfalls from, um, you know, that, that, that I would constantly, you know, have to dig myself out of or climb out of these pits that, that I've purposely jumped into just from being a dumbass or, 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 or the mindset or whatnot, but the victimization and the entitlement mindset, which I battled a lot. Um, and there, there, there's, there's always a part of me that still battles, you know, this entitlement portion of like, you want, you, you just, you figure, you know, like who, you have no idea what I've done. Mm-hmm. Like, who are you to talk or do this or be like, or like, do you know what I've done? Well, no, they haven't. Number one. And number two, who cares? Yeah. You're the only one that cares. Mm-hmm. You are, you're making yourself this entitled asshole right now because you think these guys should know and care about what you supposedly think you've done, you know? And so in, in a lot of vets, we have that same thing. It's like, do you know what I've, you know, fill in the blanks. Um, and in the end, it's like, no. And why do you expect people to? And yeah. that was a huge problem for me was I like, um, when I actually saved my leg, um, I had my leg reattached. I, I actually was upset because people didn't give me the same, like, in my opinion, people didn't give me this. They didn't look at me the same as an amputee, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. all the way to a point of a kid being like, oh, wow. Well, that IED must have not been that bad. You still have your leg, right? And I just lost it. Mm-hmm. It's like, you have no idea what I went through. And this kid is just like, he doesn't know what to do because here's, you know, here's, here's this, this entitled asshole Green Beret trying to, you know, like getting, getting very angry with somebody because they're not giving me the respect that I feel that I deserve because yeah. of what I think that I went through. And it's all the, it, and it's a victimization entitlement, but the biggest things that I learned through writing the book was number one that, you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's times in my life I've just, just been a little crybaby. It's like, man, I need to man up. But number two, um, it's actually opened my eyes to something that I feel like that's plaguing our country right now. Mm-hmm. And it is this victimization entitlement yeah. mindset. And I believe, <clears throat> you know, I, I'd never thought that it would ever affect me. But then as I was writing, I was like, well, this is the definition of entitlement and this is you. And this is like, this is a case study of victimization. If I've ever seen one and you're talking about yourself right here, stud. Yeah. And I just really, I, I, I had to, uh, now all of a sudden it's like, wow, I'm, <laughs> wow, I don't like who I am, you know? And so, yeah, throughout writing the book, I, 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 I've definitely, and everything's a work in progress because we're human beings. Mm -hmm. But um, I definitely have been able to do a lot of um, self-recovery, which has been huge, letting, letting some things from the past go because it just, I mean, I was allowing them, I was, I was, I I maintained my victim status to certain things that had happened to me as a, you know, a child or whatnot like that. And it's like, well, I'm like this because of this Mm -hmm. or this happened because of this. Or whatnot, instead of just taking control. And so, yeah, throughout writing the book, um, I didn't realize that the book was going to turn into, you know, this 
a life change for me. I knew, you know, obviously writing a book is a change in your life, but mm -hmm. I didn't realize as I kept writing and writing and the uglier things got, I was just like, wow, uh, I need to make some changes in my life. And that's what, that's the, that's what speaks to people yeah. is it's because it's not this, 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 this Ranger seal, Green Beret pilot, astronaut, and everyone's like, oh, well, of course he did that. He's a Green Beret. Duh. Yeah. It's not that. It's like, wow, this Green Beret is a human being. Yeah. Like I have that. I like, and the book speaks to him because it's raw. Yeah. It's like, yeah, man, <laughs> I've been a little bitch before well, and I'm I, not proud of it. I think there's a lot. Or of I've done this. I think there's a lot of humility with, with all that. And I know there's one part that Dan wants to talk about well, in particular that really stunned you when you first read it. The well, and I'm glad I, I'm glad we went in this order because <laughs> specifically with exactly what you just ended with is like, it's very easy to put a qualifier on somebody, mm. you know, to say, mm -hmm. Oh, they were a green beret. Of course they did that. Oh, they, mm -hmm. you know, what you did in, in one of the last chapters in the book and that you got a silver star for like, oh, he's a silver star mm -hmm. recipient. Like, it's really easy to put qualifiers and be like, of course he did that. But I'm I'm glad we yeah. talked about that first because I think that's incredibly important. I'm glad you have that mindset because it's really mm -hmm. easy to get lost in, in just all of it, right? It, like, I, I even struggle having a hard time. Like, yeah, we wrote this book, The 20-Year War. One, I don't like advertising for myself i don't like telling mm -hmm. people like oh yeah i'm a co-author of, of a book i don't like telling people really that i'm an army ranger majority of the time because it, mm -hmm. it yeah it's a qualifier like people love to see that and sure i, I get it um yeah of course you got a silver star you're a green beret <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and uh yeah yeah so i i, I do want to talk about that a little bit because I think it's incredible, incredible. And, and especially with what we were leading with previously is, you know, I think a lot of things happen in your life on purpose and to get on that last mission and to be looked at as somebody who is going to be deployable, there wasn't going to be a question, obviously put you in the position where you were in 2016 and put you in the position to be able to ultimately save, you know, many lives and why you got you know, the citation of why you're awarded the silver star. And mm -hmm. it's easy for a lot of people that I've even talked to that I know have won, not won, were awarded uh, silver stars or, or even medals of honor and things like that. And they always talk about like, yeah, yeah but I was just doing my job. And that's mm -hmm. absolutely right. But at the same time, sometimes your job puts you in an extreme situation that most people maybe wouldn't react the way yeah. that you did. And so yeah. I don't know if you, you, you want to talk about that event a little bit, but, uh, I do think it's important to talk about. Yeah. I mean, the uh, the 2016 trip, I, so there, there, there's two things that happened there. Number one, for a lot of that mission, I was just doing my job, but number two, the reason why, um, I got the silver star is not because I was doing my job. It was because, um, I was, a, I was being a human being and mm -hmm. we were refusing to leave people behind because humans don't do that. Yep. That's all it was. It wasn't, it wasn't nothing heroic or nothing like that. It was just like, I'm a human, he's a human, we're going back for him. It doesn't matter. And so those are the two things that, you know, I did my job and I was a human being. Um, but yeah, that, <laughs> that mission in the Bogland was, 
it, it was insane. I mean, we, we got called up on this, you know, um, Taliban. We, we didn't realize we'd walked into, you know, a, the hornet's nest we did. It was, you know, Taliban training camp. They trained suicide bombers, all this other crap um, to conduct attacks on Kabul. So we had, we had infilled at night and uh, got to the Afghan um, um, NDS base. And we're like, okay, so no one really knows we're here yet. We haven't heard much chatter. We're good to go. Okay. So then a couple of days gone by, just let everything calm down again. Like, okay. And then we just, and then we infilled um, when we kicked off the mission, we went in Afghan home V's and stuff like that. So the Taliban, what we thought was going to happen and it did <laughs> a little too good was the Taliban would think that it was another Afghan patrol, kick the crap out of them and then, and then rinse and repeat. Mm -hmm. And so we didn't have, we didn't have RGs or max pros or nothing like that. We went in and Afghan home V's and whatnot. And so when we kicked off and, you know, now we're, we're mounted. Now we're going to the dismounted position and we're moving in by foot. Still there's, you know, the Taliban are on, Hey, they're another, I think it's like one o'clock in the morning, but you, you, you'd hear some chatter, you know, Oh, the army's out doing this again, but no one, no one had talked about Americans yet. It was like, good. Cause what we'd hope would happen was um, the first round that, you know, comes by us. Now all of a sudden it's like, oh, and there's a JTAC on the ground. Oh, forgot to tell you guys about that. And you just start dropping the arsenal of the United States of America on top of these dudes. So um, that's why we went kind of under the cover of just an Afghan patrol. Hmm. So we uh, we got up to one of our I when I when I um, when I create routes for a mission, I, I have like there's certain choke points and orchards are one of them. Orchards are very dangerous, mm -hmm. super sketchy, and they like to hide caches in them and tunnel entrances and stuff, which means they like to booby trap the crap out of them or and IEDs and whatnot. So we uh, we got up to my first choke point and it's it's one o'clock in the morning. It's like, all right, we got to clear this orchard um, because our first targeted compound is that one right across the orchard <laughs> and so it's like all right we've already planned this rehearsed this and and uh the main element was so i was in the clearance element which was myself and four afghans um they're at that time they were called the national mine reduction group guys nmrg so i and uh and one of them's my buddy that i've had you know for multiple deployments abe but we're like okay gotta clear this orchard and then we'll get ready to take down the first compound and kind of what I said before, C2 element, move about and do our, and, and do great things. And so we start, we start moving through the orchard and um, Jaweed is right up in front of me. I'm kind of, we're, I kind of have guys in this inverted V to where you have your tripwire guys out here. They're further, um, or, I'm sorry, command wire guys. They're further in front of everybody, but they're not on the main footpath. And then you have the guys on the footpath, which is myself, Abe, Jaweed. Well, um, we had walked or we were clearing up and all of a sudden, you know, and it's it's dead. It's it's one o'clock in the morning. Noise and light discipline. Huge. And all of a sudden we heard this. It, it wasn't it wasn't big, but because it was so surprising, we heard this like ear deafening pop. It's like, oh shit, everyone hits the ground. It's like sniper shot. What what is that? What what just happened? And then Jaweed, he's trying to un he's trying, he's got he's tangled up in all this 
this this wire and is like crap we just hit a tripwire ied and it didn't go off it low ordered mm. the blasting cap was the pop but it didn't actually detonate the can full of hme and yeah. bolts nuts nails and everything else Jeez. and is like oh god so I go, okay pick ourselves up and i'm like god how did we miss that well they're putting them at chest level it's like okay all right well let's let you know hey guys keep your eyes open you know i don't know whatever you got to say I don't know, take the best movie quote and throw it out <laughs> well we had moved we had moved around the trail probably about we started moving again uh maybe it was about a minute and all of a sudden i see um through my pvs 31s i see this this object dart across the courtyard and into um in, in and into uh, one of the areas of the of the mud hut is like oh shit and so you know we got our you know we go to guns and we're not firing yet because they're not firing at us but it was like what was that i don't know it was quick and then right after that it was a snitch this, <laughs> well right after that no it was yeah i mean he was a spotter but he was running to his gun position mm-hmm. and right after that this flame um from about 20 meters away just um shot out from the wall and it was in the pkm gunner it opened up on us and then the entire wall this this compound wall it was just muzzle flashes and at 762 is coming in everywhere and then rpg flies over boom and so we're in the dirt and we had just walked into i mean a, a linear ambush like mm-hmm. and what was supposed to set the ambush off was the tripwire ied jeez and so and so we're you know we're we're just i'm in the ground i'm trying to fire as much as i as i can it's there's rounds coming in everywhere uh, this RPG gunner, he keeps jumping out and shooting RPGs, but he doesn't quite know where we are either. But one of the Taliban commanders has um, night vision. And so he's talking about the kill or capture this guy with a flashing helmet. And that's me. I had my strobe, my IR strobe on. And so they're like, Ryan, they can see your strobe. They can see your strobe. So I, I ripped the strobe off and I threw it as close as I could get to where the where the pkm pkm was at because we were cut off from our main element we were inside of the orchard everyone else was waiting to leapfrog okay it's clear all right we'll move up to you and then we'll clear again well they had cut us off from the main element and so we're just in here um just taking a lead shower and rounds are kicking up everywhere it feels like hot bacon grease on your arms and your face and stuff like that because it's hitting gravel and you know how it all happens and and so um finally i I, i'm I'm firing at the i'm on my face and then i would roll over to my side a little bit because it's very hard to be in a prone with kit Mm -hmm. on and all that so i'd roll over to my side a little bit and i would engage muzzle flashes because you can't really see anybody but you can see the muzzle flashes and i'm suppressed so they don't actually know where i'm at because i had now taken the strobe off my helmet like a good good guy (laughs) so um but this, I, I had my IR laser on and this RPG guy jumps out again and he screams, you know, oh, Akbar. And I was like, holy cow, they really do say that. And, but right oh, when he came out from behind the wall, he lined up perfectly with my laser. I was like, oh, and I just started squeezing rounds and RPG goes there. And I was like, holy cow. I didn't, he just walked right in front of my muzzle where my laser was at. And it's just, 
it was it was impressive. I you know because you know you don't stay lazed constantly, but mm-hmm. when he would come out, I would hit my laser to see if I could get a beat on him, and it just here's this torso, and he's aiming up for a shot, and my laser's right here. It's like oh. Oh wow, this is convenient. Man, this, this, <laughs> that was uh that was easy. that was Akbar helping him out. <laughs> yeah, so so we finally air air comes on station and they're like, hey, we need to drop here. And they said we can't drop there. Um that's 17 meters from Ryan's position. It's like, well, if you don't drop, he's he's dead. You have to drop that bomb. And so the approval that close had to go all the way up to whatever general at Bath and mm. finally approval came in but they wouldn't they couldn't drop a fragmentation producing bomb it had to be a concussion bomb 500 pound concussion bomb because troops you know i was 17 meters from mm-hmm. you know where they're the pkm and whatnot so aircraft comes in um weapons release and the jtac our combat controller he's like hey man this is gonna be big you know um and he's like good luck he's like good luck that's <laughs> you're not supposed to say that, <laughs> but I just, I put my face in the dirt and, you know, I, I, I was telling the Afghans with me, I was like, yeah, get your heads down and open up your mouth. I don't know if it, the overpressure, how it works. I think again, I saw it on a movie somewhere and it was like, yeah, this is what you do. But that bomb hit. <laughs> and I remember the first thing, the first thing I was scared of was that these huge chunk, these huge chunks of mud hut were going to rain down and like break backs, necks, whatnot like that. Um, but I remember like this blast wave went over the top of me and you can see the leaves and the sticks and, and, and dust everywhere. And you're just, and you're just sitting there, you're just riding the ride. And then that calms down. It's like, okay, we need to get up and we need to pull back, but you can't stand up because you just had your brain scrambled. So you're falling over and you look like a, a dead fish or what, or not dead fish, but a, a flopping fish. And Jeez. you're just, holy cow, man. So you're trying to finally we're able to get back far enough and they come back in and they drop another 500 pounder. And, um, when we were waiting on that second drop, I remember I, I like, I reached up and it at at this point in time, I think it it was starting to get light. So it was like three 30 in the morning, something like that. But, um, I remember reaching up and I had this liquid coming out of my ear and it was crusting into my beard. Mm. And I was like, Oh, that's not good. So yeah, Still got a mission to do. So um, that firefight, it started off this, this, um, <laughs> this, uh, what, 18, 20 hour mission. And, um, and that was the, that, that was the beginning of it. So we get into the compound, clear it, checking the bodies, everything like that. And, um, and it's like, okay, now, you know, kind of, you know how you, you dev- are the, the, the entire village is broken up and you're like, all right, we're at compound one, two, three. Okay. Next compound is going to be four, five, six. All right. Moving to compound four, five, six. And you're constantly updating your, your, your forward line of troops and all that stuff like that. Well, so I'm still like, my job is an 18 Charlie is to run, you know, my Afghan counter IED guys and the clear the paths, um, for the follow on forces and whatnot. And, uh, throughout like clearance that day before we got to the LOA. I mean, I, I'd found 17 IEDs myself. Jeez. Um, our Afghan, you know, my Afghan buddies, they, they were in the fifties. We ran out of C4. We were having to just mark spray paint by them and then bypass and move on to other things. 
But we finally, we get to LOA. It's like, all right, good to go. We're going to get, you know, men, weapon, and equipment. And then um, we're going to go ahead and head back. And uh, we just took this hard flat ground, you know, good. Everything's going good. So we're going to need you guys, Afghans, uh, you're going to have to do what, what has been talked about in every um, <laughs> warfare book known to man. You're going to hold the ground that you just took. No. Well, what what do you mean, no? You have to. No, we don't. You guys stay here. Well, this isn't our job. That's we were here to clear. Why like why wouldn't you hold this village? We don't want to. Like, what's it what's here for us? You just what? I I, I don't know how to answer this question. So our team sergeant's having this argument with their um their commander and um, I was, you know, getting my guys ready, um, to, to pull back and we were, we were going to head back out. And, uh, the, one of the Afghan commandos came up to me and he's in with a Terp, <clears throat> Terp's name was Dost. And he said, Hey, um, there's, there's like 15 to 20 guys moving in this direction. He's like, well, how do you know? And it's like, well, our, our guy on Overwatch can see him. It's like, okay. Um, are they farmers, villagers? What are they? We don't know. I was like, okay, cool. So I go up and I say, like, hey man, this we we need we need to get going. Like there's people that are starting to move back this way, and we don't need to be around. Like the Afghans can take it if they're going to, if not, but we we need to get out of here, man. And so it's like, all right, yeah, let's let let's start getting guys ready to go, and then we're 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 gonna move back to the vehicles and and head back. And so, um, then the that commando came up again and he said, hey, um. Those people all disappeared. I was like, well, where where do you disappear to? Mm -hmm. Well, during this clearance operation, we had found multiple tunnels mm -hmm. and tunnel entrances and and everything like that. It's like, okay, so what do you mean disappeared? So it's like, hey man, we gotta go. We gotta go. Like wherever they are, they're not there anymore. They were moving this way. We gotta go. And it was within a couple seconds after that, um, this this overwhelming fire superiority of bullets <laughs> and rpgs just went through us like they hit us harder than i've ever like, i can't even like describe it from a movie rounds were coming the the dirt road uh was was just it, it looked like thousands of horses running down this road with all the dust getting kicked up everywhere from just rounds pouring in Jeez. So we do what we, you know, you're, you're trained to do. You get cover and you return fire. And um, so we're, you know, we jump into these ditches that are lining the road and they're six foot deep. And so, and there's just rounds going everywhere. And I can look up the road and you can see guys that have been hit and they're in the road. Um, you're probably dead. It's like, okay. Um, but we need to get, we, we need to get the upper hand here. Like what happened? And then um, the next thing you hear is you hear the, sound of a mortar not mm. exploding but launching and you're like uh oh that's a green beret's worst nightmare is a mortar system and then boom mortar round goes off they hit they 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 shoot or they're far next one boom <laughs> now they're now now they're uh you know they shot in front of us they shot behind us shot in front of us well every mortarman knows now you're going to split the difference yeah, walking in the you're target. probably going to get you're Jeez. probably going to get rounds on target. 
so we're screaming for air support and they were and they were like we uh we can't drop because we don't know who's who it's like what do you mean you don't know who's who mm. and then we start we're, we're engaging guys at 10 meters Jeez. and whatnot as they're running through and they're in our lines and we and they have they have us on three sides surrounded and so it's just like holy cow and the amount of rounds that are coming down and then it's like okay well we we still like we're we're doing good we're you know um let's start to get back to a certain position uh to where we can gain some distance from these guys and start dropping bombs and then eagle down eagle down eagle down it's like oh god that's you don't want to hear eagle down and then it comes over again and again and again it's like whoa what is going on and so now it's like we need a ccp we got to set up the casualty collection point because we have guys that we have americans that are down and mm -hmm. we don't know the status of them but we're getting eagles down eagles down and stuff like that so we set up a ccp and um and we start bringing you know we start bringing our afghans in and and americans are, are you know are coming in we're working on them and then the ccp gets lit up there's rounds all over the place and and dude, you know, a couple Afghans get shot in the CCP and Jeez. it's, it's just, there, there's this huge, um, th this, this, I mean, there was just, I, I, again, just a lot, a lot of seven, six, two coming in on us. And we realized that just on the other side of the compound, there's a two story compound and they're shooting at us from there. Well, the aircraft is like, Roger that dropped, you know, and finally they dropped that compound. And it's like, all right, good to go. And that was within 80 meters of all of us. So still danger close for a 500 pound or 2000 pound bomb, whatnot. And, and so they, uh, we, you know, it's like, all right, we need to move because we don't have an HLZ here anyways. So we need to move to another area. We're going to go back the way we came and we're going to take down this compound right here that has that big field behind it. Okay, good. And that big field behind it is at least as we know right now is friendly because we're not taking fire from that area. We're taking fire from three sides, not the fourth side. It's like, okay. So we have to go back down, you know, this, this gauntlet of, of small arms rounds <laughs> coming in on us uh, to establish a second CCP. And we start, you know, guys start coming in onesies and twosies. They'll, you know, they'll, one guy will sprint down the, you know, an Afghan, you'll see him sprinting down the road and he's bleeding everywhere. And he'll come in. And so now we have, we, we have a mass casualty situation, you know, um, and it, the numbers just start increasing. So now you got four Americans that are wounded. Um, you got 12 Afghans that are wounded Jeez. and you've got KIAs starting, you know, Afghan KIAs that are starting to build up. It's like, okay, we need to start getting aircraft in here. And now we've created enough distance. So now we're dropping bombs and it's like, all right, now, okay, we turn the tide of the war combat controllers saving them saving troops lives <laughs> again and so we turned the tide of battle now we're dropping bombs and um, we're still taking rounds and whatnot like that but we were we were able to gain the upper hand with fire superiority and whatnot um so we're working on dudes and now medevacs are starting to come in well um and then we're starting to get guys out and then more wounded guys would come in it's like okay here's more wounded guys and then all right, hey, we need to get a we need to get a head count. We need to again, like everyone, men, weapon, equipment. We we need to do a count of what we got right now and figure out what we're missing, what's still out there. So we get we we get a count. Americans are accounted for. Okay, good. We're missing four Afghans. Okay, 
We got to go out and get him. All right, go back to the old CCP. Yep, here's a here's a body here. Okay, we got him. All right, the ditch over here. Yep, yep, there's a body there. Oh, here comes another guy. He's coming up right now. Okay, there's um I'm sorry, five. So there's there's three guys. We're missing two dudes. We're missing Abe and a commando. Like, well, where who saw Abe last? Well, I'm always with Abe. And I said, I mean, the last time, right before, you know, and this has been hours now, but right before the tick started, um, we were up at that footbridge about five to 600 meters back up the dirt road that just, Jeez. that is stained in blood. <laughs> it's like, well, we can't go back up there. It's like, we have to, like, no one gets left behind. I mean, you know that no one gets left behind. And so we, uh, the JTAC, um, we got this plan. It's like, right, we're going to bring in two Apaches and they're going to start a gun run and we're going to take off running up the road. So literally we're using the Apaches as <laughs> for bounding overwatch or whatever you want. You know what I mean? So they're shooting and we're sprinting behind these things and just trying to keep heads down and whatnot. And it's like, all right, this plan could work. Um, wait, we're going to do what? It's like, all right, yeah. <laughs> whatever this like we have to get these guys um more fighters are coming in the area it's like okay we need we, we need to get moving now well prior to this we already had a bird that went smoking out of the area because it got shot up so bad and so we almost had a it, well i don't want to call it a black hog down scenario because that was that was very intense um i wasn't there but that was very intense but we almost lost the helicopter it's like all right so um, we're, we're going to have very, we're going to have a little, little bit of time. Oh, and by the way, they're running out of fuel. So we need to get up here, get these bodies and we need to get out of here. If they're even there, mm. we don't even know if the Taliban covered them. We don't know what's happened. So JTAC's like, all right, Hey, they're, they're starting their gun run. And what, what is it? A three Mike, Mike can or uh, cannon that they got on it and just starting that gun run. And we just take off sprinting up the road. And um, there's still there's still dust crickets popping up here and there from guys that are just doing this number and, you know, whatnot, but nothing crazy. And we get up to the bridge and, and yeah, I look I look down in the ditch and the ditch, this ditch had water in it. And he was he was floating face down in the ditch. And um, and it was it was muddy um, irrigation water Jeez. and it was bright red from the amount of blood that he had lost. And then right next to him was the commando. So, okay, we need to get these guys recovered and we, we, we need to get out of here. Like we were, we got guys coming in. Uh, the Apaches are saying they're seeing people and, you know, it's just like, all right, we need to get moving. All men are accounted for. Good. Now we can get out of here. And so getting Abe out of that ditch, um, it was, that was hard, like muddy and a bloody body is very hard to grab onto. Mm. Um, but yeah, getting him, getting him out of that ditch and then, you know, um, getting him on his last helicopter ride after everything he's done, you know, for not only Americans, but for Afghanistan, mm -hmm. um, and then getting the commando out and everything we did, we, we did it right because Americans, <laughs> it's hard to say this because of, you know, the situation in Afghanistan right now, but I'm a firm believer. Americans don't leave people behind. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll send a hundred people out there and, and lose 99 of them to make sure we can recover that one, that one guy. Yep. And, 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 and yeah. we, and we showed it that day and you didn't have to be an American, but you are our counterpart. You are our partner. And yeah, so we did, 
so we did it right that day and we brought all men home so um whether they were dead or not so that's uh so that pretty much that was the <laughs> the boglin the boglin mission and we stumbled into a major taliban training camp and um yeah i mean unofficially they said we killed over 400 um fighters Jeez, and, holy shit yeah i mean we didn't line them all up but at yeah. the end of the mission we had we had eight afghan kaa uh four american wia and we had i think 16 afghan wia so we Jeez, we man. got we got tore up yeah we we got tore up <laughs> that's yeah, a crazy that's, story. that's what happened in Bogland. that's yeah. fucking crazy yeah you know and it it for me i i can literally play it scene by scene almost i know it's not like it's not because i wasn't there but i i can at least envision so many different things of you know piecing together things that i've seen before Mm -hmm. i wish that everybody could understand like how intense and chaotic and just all of the things that you don't want to happen sound like it happened mm-hmm. <laughs> all on that well, mission. Well, the weird thing is I'm like painting this picture in my head as he's talking about it. And I know it probably doesn't even come close. Yeah. And that like, I mean, when you were even talking about just like grabbing a bloody body, it's they're slippery. Yeah. And like mm-hmm. that just brings back so many things that it's fucking crazy. Yeah. And the and, and the smell of of that gunshot wounds, man, yeah. that burnt flesh with the mm. blood and everything, yeah, it's <laughs> it's in it's insane. But not a single person hit an IED in the, on that mission. That's so. insane. That's that's crazy. Yeah. yeah, you know, I I get it. Like I I understand. You know, um, yeah, obviously why you were awarded uh, the Silver Star, mm-hmm. and I think it's just. Uh, I think it's incredible and I'm so happy you wrote a book and it wasn't, you know, just solely around one event, but it was a culmination of what got you to that point. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. and I think it's so cool. Um, again, what we, what we were talking about before telling the story, because it's easy to just focus on that one event, but I think yeah. it's f- important for people to understand like the whole person and, mm-hmm. um, it's pretty well, they, they they have to know the whole person or else like we were just joking about earlier um oh of course he did all that he's yeah. a ranger seal green beret commando you know you got to know the whole person mm-hmm. or else that story wouldn't mean they can't put themselves in normal ryan hendrickson's shoes that ended up in a really screwed up situation but didn't do anything heroic he was a human yeah yeah and you refuse to leave people behind that's yeah. not that's not heroic that's that's called being a human being and and so i think for people just, listening i mean this doesn't even come close to the length of the book so if you're interested in hearing more yeah you got about this yeah read the book at least go but, pick up tip of the spear but by ryan hendrickson because yeah that's it's just crazy hearing some of these stories that are taken from there i think it's so important with what you keep on saying and i know you're you're not trying to say it just outright but i I think we do need to say it because you know i've i've been talking about it a lot you know we wrote this book the 20-year war it's the only book out there that's titled the 20-year war so Mm -hmm. of course what happened you know weeks ago kind of called us into 
engaging with the media and just like giving sharing our feelings and stuff like that of the unraveling that was happening yep. in Afghanistan. And it was exactly that. I can't tell you like both slides to the side. I put uh I put um Tony Tony's book there on purpose during yeah. the interviews because I wanted people to see that that is not a mantra that we say just because it's some like high higher level thinking you're just thinking about your buddies to your left and to your right that's all you think about but it is ingrained in us it's you don't yeah. leave anybody behind like that's there's, there's, our podcast it's not it's not a gray area it's black and white like that is the one thing that right. is chiseled in stone that you, you it's a failure if you let leave somebody behind everything else leading yeah. up to that is not a failure but it is a failure if you leave somebody behind so it's been di very difficult and i don't know how you've been processing like kind of everything that's been going on in afghanistan and and um you know what what your thoughts are on it but i know for us it's been it's been difficult for sure mm -hmm. No, and I think our thoughts are are going to be very, very similar um, because it is it, it it has been it has been very difficult, and I, you know, I was willing to give my life that day. Um, again, it's not a heroic thing; it's a cultural thing because yeah. Americans don't leave anyone behind, mm -hmm. and that's that's, I mean that that's it's ingrained in you. That's not a that's not a trait that it's like oh wow he really did it right. No, that's something that you that you know um that we we will we'll, we'll send 100 men to their death to rescue one yeah yeah um ryan as we begin to to wrap up i mean i feel like we could talk for yeah we could hours talk. we, we could, could talk. yell if we wanted <laughs> yeah. to for people that are listening um obviously i don't want to take too much more of your night but i think it's important to hear it from your perspective what's some advice from the things that you've been through for other veterans that have served during the GWAT era or continuing to serve during this era that you would recommend? So there's a couple pieces of advice that I have um, because mental health is, is it's definitely um, we haven't even, we haven't seen, we haven't seen the impacts that are, that are going to happen because mm -hmm. um, of this fallout in Afghanistan and in the fact that, I mean, guys have been, living year by year for that next deployment to Afghanistan to go out and do whatever. And now it's done. And now yeah. it's like, Hey, flip the switch and be normal again. You're not a killer anymore. We don't do that. Um, but the one thing, or there's a couple things. And number one is when people are like, well, what was it for? What a waste. I disagree with that completely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I look at, I look at what's going on in Afghanistan right now. You have people's uprising movements. You have, um, you have women that are, that, that are refusing to do what they're told. I'm, I will not cover up. You will not make me do this. You have. And, and so the Taliban have actually, they've kind of hit a brick wall because mm -hmm. we brought in a little taste of freedom. Mm -hmm. And with that taste of freedom that we brought into Afghanistan, um, now all of a sudden people, they don't want, I'm not going back to Taliban rule. That's mm -hmm. not, no. I want what we had before. And so I, and I do say like, um, Afghanistan wasn't a waste because they got a taste of freedom and now it's up to them. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've served with many of Afghans that 
Um, they're not, they'll, they're going to die before they'll fall under the thumb of the Taliban 100%. So veterans needs to, you know, a lot of vets need to remember that it wasn't for nothing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, there were some bad policy calls that were made, got it. Um, but it was not, it wasn't a failed mission. It wasn't for nothing. It was, you know, um, we're going to see, we're going to see here in the, in the near future, what exactly it was for and people. And that's because of, you know, what so many heroes um, did over there and given the Afghans, the, 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 the glimpse of what freedom looks like. And I think that that's about ready to start a movement in Afghanistan that the Taliban aren't going to be able to, to handle number one. Um, but for veterans that are, that, you know, that they are, they, maybe things do look a little dark right now mm -hmm. or the, just the questions. There's not enough answers for the questions that they have or anything. Um, I do challenge people to remember that as, you know, as time marches on, you can't stop time and slowly, but surely things are going to start to, you know, fade to the background a little bit. And yeah, the, you, you'll, everyone's still going to have their demons and their, in their, in their great memories and, you know, the, the horrible ones that they battle with. Got it. But as time marches on, you're still going to have to um, look back on how you're handling this situation right now. And I just, I, I, I just challenge people. Don't, don't give yourself the opportunity to look back and be ashamed of how you're handling it. Um, you don't, you don't want, you don't want that demon um, uh, called shame, you know, at an old age because, because you didn't handle things or, or take control or whatnot. And then I, I think the last one is in that, um, veterans really need to understand this is um, you did serve. And for that, you know, I, I, I thank everybody for their service, but um, do not allow yourself to become entitled. Mm -hmm. Don't feel that you deserve something just because you, you wore the uniform in Afghanistan and bad things did happen. Yeah. I got it. Um, we all got it. But in the end, um, you gotta, you gotta control that entitlement mindset. You can't go around getting mad because, or angry, or, or having issues because people don't understand. They're not gonna understand. You can't make someone understand something if they weren't there, mm -hmm. and you can't make somebody really care if, because what, like, who are you? I got it, man. You served, and I, and you did great things for God and country, but. Um, you have to control the entitlement mindset. Understand that you volunteered for what we did and, and things, yeah, things, uh, people have seen, you know, some horrible things and whatnot like that, but you have to control that mindset that you're owed something or people mm -hmm. should understand because of this. You're not owed anything and people aren't going to understand. It's yeah. impossible. And when you actually, when you actually can um, fully adopt that, Life becomes a lot easier because you have you have taken away that burden that you're putting on other people, mm -hmm. including wives, kids, family members. You're taking that burden away from them because they're not forced to have to try and understand. So don't burden people. You know, people aren't going to understand. But that's an entitlement mindset when when you allow that to control you. And so that's I. I, I think that's for me, that's, that's really all I got. Yeah. Um, as far as advice, 
but yeah, the entitlement one's a big one. Well, so, I think those are that's, great. That's such an important one. We, yeah. t- we kind of talk about that a lot because, uh, it's easy to fall in the trap of what a veteran is supposed to be as being a veteran, mm-hmm. like of being that super entitled captain America thrown mm-hmm. out the first pitch of every ball game, like people looking for you, or you could be what you're talking about where you have the demons of mental health and you see an easy path for you that you're the broken PTS, you know, vet that always has problems and stuff like that. And people are like, Oh yeah, he's, he's just, you know, a vet. Or you're the the yeah. bro, the bro mm-hmm. vet who's just like out there flamboyantly as a veteran and being like, yeah, look at me, I served overseas. It's like, yeah, yeah you did your job, and I think yeah. uh, basically you you culminated all of those things yeah. in what you were talking about. And I think it's really important yeah. for veterans, like we were talking about throughout this entire podcast, just be you, be your person, mm-hmm. be like you don't need to have those qualifiers. Yep. You can just learn to be yourself. Yeah, like I tell everybody, get your own shark bite story. Yeah. It, it does. It's <laughs> it's it's funny, but it's the truth. <laughs> Preferably not the same story, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Ryan, um, like I said, we could keep this thing going for hours, but I just appreciate that we're all able to come together, hear your story, and and hear more glimpses from your book, Tip of the Spear, which people need to go purchase right now. Yeah, speaking of which, uh, you know what are you doing next? Where can Mm -hmm. people find this book? What's the best thing for people to do to follow if they're interested in any of that? Um, so, so next, uh, we're, we're, well, we're trying to build this house, but it's (laughs) the times that we're living in right now. It's not that easy. And once we actually have a house to live in, then adoption. So that's the big, that's the big ticket item coming up is, is adopting a kid. Cause I've done a lot of, I've done a lot of things in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, but the hardest job in the world is to be a successful father. And mm-hmm. I've yet to do that. And so I'm really looking forward to it. Um, That's awesome. And I, I, yeah, but as far as the book, I mean, a- Amazon's probably the easiest, easiest one to tell you the truth. I mean, they, they control the world. So <laughs> um, Amazon it's at, it's at major bookstores, but um, I'm, I mean, I, I use Instagram quite a bit um, mm-hmm. and it's just, I'm at a tip of the spear rmh and that's my instagram i guess handle or whatever you call it i don't know we'll link all that in Um, the uh, episode description too so people can see it yeah and then i just i i have a website believe it or not uh, a a big knuckle dragger like me it's uh, (laughs) ryanmhendrickson.com so but yeah that's that's really it so well that's exciting and uh hats off to you for going of the route of adoption Um, it runs in my family. My father was adopted and I'm totally pro for it because I see a lot of benefits with it. Yeah. Yeah. Every every kid needs a family. It's a hard hard process. And I, every time I turn around, I can't believe some of the expenses or whatnot, but it's just, that's life. And we're going to open up our doors for, for a child and it's going to be great. So that's awesome. Well, uh, look forward to, to talking some more and, uh, and thanks again for sharing your story. Yeah. Thank you so yeah, much. I, pre- I appreciate you guys having me on, man. Thank you guys very much. Of, of course. course. Thank you. Uh,